My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. So we're going to be doing summer Saturdays, probably because I'm a professor, so it's going to be six days a week, but obviously you can go at your own pace, but this just helps us so that we don't have to squeeze too much when we get to the fall and the winter. This is day 118, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Samuel 19 to 20, 1 Chronicles 21 and 22, Psalm 3 and 36. 2 Samuel 19. Joab was told the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom, and for the whole army the victory that day was turned into mourning, because on that day the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal in whom are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men, who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth till now. So the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. Throughout the tribes of Israel, all the people were arguing amongst themselves, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the land of the Philistines. But now he has fled the country to escape from Absalom, and Absalom, who we anointed to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? King David sent this message to Zodak and Abithar, the priests. Ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said through Israel has reached the king at his quarters? You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood, so why should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my army for life in place of Joab." He won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were all of one mind. They sent word to the king, Return you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shammai, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Barum, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. With him were a thousand Benjamites along with Ziba, the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and to do whatever he wished. When Shammai, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said, Shouldn't Shammai be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. David replied, 
What does this have to do with you, your sons of Zuria? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shammai, You shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, My lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. And he had slandered your servant to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserved nothing but death from my lord the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, Why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him take everything, now that my lord the king has returned home safely. Barzillai, the Gileadite, also came down from Roglim to cross the Jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there. Now Barzillai was very old, 80 years of age. He had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzillai, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem and I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, how many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be added to burden to my lord the king? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return that I may die in my own town near the tomb of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Kimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king. Do for him whatever you wish. The king said, Kimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him whatever you wish. And anything you desire from me, I will do for you. So all the people crossed the Jordan, and then the king crossed over. The king kissed Barzillia and bid him farewell, and Barzillia returned to his home. When the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel had taken the king over. Soon, all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away? and bring him and his household across the Jordan, together with all his men. All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, We did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Have we taken anything for ourselves? Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, so we have a greater claim on David than you have. Why then do you treat us with contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. Now a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bichri, a Benjamite, happened to be there. He sounded the trumpet and shouted, We have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son, every man to his tent, Israel. So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed by their king all the way from Jordan to Jerusalem. When David returned to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to take care of the palace and put them in a house under guard. He provided for them, but had no sexual relations with them. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows. 
Then the king said to Amasa, summon the men of Judah to come to me within three days and be here yourself. But when Amasa went to summon Judah, he took longer than the time the king had set for him. David said to Abishai, now Shabbat, son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom did. Take your master's men and pursue him, or he will find fortified cities and escape from us. So Joab's men and the Carathites and Pelathites and all the mighty warriors went out under the command of Abishai. They marched out for Jerusalem to pursue Shabbat, son of Bichri. While they were at the great rock of Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Joab was wearing his military tunic and strapped over it. At its waist was a belt with a dagger in its sheath. As he stepped forward, it dropped out of its sheath. Joab said to Amasa, How are you, my brother? Then Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand, and Joab plunged it into his belly, and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. Then Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba, son of Bichri. One of Joab's men stood beside Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the road, and the man saw that all the troops came to a halt there. When he realized that everyone who came up to Amasa stopped, he dragged him from the road into a field and threw a garment over him. After Amasa had been removed from the road, everyone went on with Joab to pursue Sheba, son of Bichri. Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel Beth Makkah and through the entire region of the Bichrites, who gathered together and followed him. All the troops with Joab came and besieged Sheba and Abel Beth Makkah. They built a siege ramp up to the city and it stood against the outer fortifications. While they were battering the wall, To bring it down, a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab to come here so I can speak to him. He went toward her and she asked, Are you Joab? I am, he answered. She said, Listen to what your servant has to say. I'm listening, he said. She continued, Long ago they used to say, Get your answer at Abel. And that settled it. We were the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You are trying to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why do you want to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? Far be it from me, Joab replied. Far be it from me to swallow up our or destroy. That is not the case. A man named Sheba, son of Bichri, from the hill country of Ephraim, has lifted up his hand against the king, against David. Hand over this one man, and I'll withdraw from the city. The woman said to Joab, His head will be thrown to you from the wall. Then the woman went to all the people with her wise advice, and they cut off the head of Shabbat, son of Bichri, and threw it to Joab. So he sounded the trumpet, and his men dispersed from the city, each returning to his home. And Joab went back to the king in Jerusalem. Joab was over Israel's entire army. Benai, son of Jehoda, was over the Carathites and Pelathites. Adonaram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shavah was secretary. Jadok and Abathar were priests. And Ira the Jerite was David's priests. 1 Chronicles 21 Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops and a hundred times over. My Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab, so Joab left and went through Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to 
David, and all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. The Lord said to Gad, David's seer, Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Take your choice, three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies, with their sword overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then, decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough! withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Aranah, the Jebusite. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Israel. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell face down. David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord, my God, let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arnah, the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. While Arnah was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. Then David approached, and when Arnah looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. David said to him, "'Let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord.'" that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. Aranah said to David, Take it. Let my lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give the oxen from the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all this. But King David replied to Arnah, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the lord what is yours, or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. So David paid Arnah 600 shekels of gold for the site. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with the fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offerings. Then the Lord spoke to the angel, and he put his sword back into his sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Arnah the Jebusite, he offered sacrifices there. The tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offerings were at that time on the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God because he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Then David said, The house of the Lord God is to be here and also the altar of burnt offerings for Israel. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel and from among them he appointed stone cutters to repair dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateway and for fittings and more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs that could be counted for the Sidonians and the Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David.
David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and the splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord will be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel, so that you may keep the law of the Lord God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of brawn and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have made workers, stonecutters, masons and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work and the Lord will be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. Psalm 3, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Psalm 36, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delight. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against you, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise.
In 2 Samuel 19 and 20, we see David return to his role after mourning as a father and David being restored to the throne as leader over Israel. I think we also can't help or stop thinking about the character Joab. He's so unsettling to me because sometimes he is loyal to God and other times he seems to let his anger burn and leak out in unsanctioned violence. For example, Do you remember back in chapter 12 when Joab's brother was killed in war by Abner? And while Abner had since sworn allegiance to David, Joab's bloodlust for vengeance overcame him and he murdered Abner. David was grieved and pronounced a generational consequence or curse on Joab's descendants. Then we read today how Joab, in a Judas-style way, he kisses his cousin, grabs his beard, and murders him. We also read how Joab disobeyed King David's command to spare Absalom, his son, and Joab kills him anyway, never telling David he did it, of course. We also saw Joab was without compunction when he sent Bathsheba's husband Uriah to the front line to be killed in chapter 11, never reprimanding or advising David. But then here in this story, Joab reprimands David for mourning his son at a critical time when his troops needed his encouragement for triumph and this move back towards restoration over Israel. And Joab also reprimands him, rightly so, in First Chronicles, because to take a census is considered, like it said, evil in the eyes of God, because it's, it's a sign that the heart is looking for human power and to know what your military might is versus demonstrating a reliance on God. So that's what the problem was with it. Joab will continue to do some things and show loyalty to David and offer some good advice, and other times he won't. Eventually, we'll read in Kings how Joab tries to install Adonijah as the next king instead of Solomon, and this leads to David's command of Solomon to have him executed, which he is by Benai, as Joab is clinging to the horns of the altar, hoping for clemency. There seems to be a patterning out of Joab doing what Joab thinks is best, a lack of a soft heart or posture of kneeling before God and God's king, except for when it suits him. Whew, there is a strong warning here and a heart check we can all consider, especially if and when we are capable and valiant, winning battles, being successful as Joab was. But in the end, he confused his purpose and role, his place in the larger story, Joab was not willing to submit to God's wisdom and and replace a heart of self-righteousness and cycles of violence for cycles of redemption and a Shema heart for God. To me, clemency or the lenience and mercy request for restoration without atonement is like asking for restoration without redemption. Redemption is the act of calling out to God to be saved, knowing that you can't do it on your own, And there's also this sense of you're committing your life back to that person for his purpose. There's this forward commitment to pledge felty to God and his way, whereas clemency seems to be asking solely for a pardon for maybe like a flawed system or a a mistake in the bigger picture. It's not asking forgiveness, but shifting or sloughing off blame to someone or something else Maybe I'm wrong, but for me, there's something in the heart of the matter that distinguishes clemency and redemption. There's so much to think about with Joab because I think oftentimes it's so tempting when you are successful or you're doing good things and you are connected to, in some way, God's kingdom and story. I just find this to be such an important 
pause moment to do the heart check and to make sure that we are consistently and in all things. I I love this term genuflection. It's where a person is kneeling with one leg down. So one leg is bent on the floor, the knee, and the other knee is bent in like a position ready to stand up. So Google it, genuflection. (laughs) What I love about it is it's like, I'm ready to use my gifts and talents for the Lord, but I'm also in this state of submission to who God is and what he wants in his wisdom at all times. It's like you live in that posture at the beginning of the day. I always think of twilight. So when you wake up and when you go to bed, it's this genuflection so that God is guiding the actions that you take. So you're not in, you know, both knees Yes, I think there's a time for that. Perhaps both, you know, risen and going. But there's something I don't know visually special for me about this idea of genuflection. Then in First Chronicles, we're learning something new. We're learning about David's census, which I mentioned is a hint to a problem. And the beginning steps towards preparation for the temple. Remember, David is not going to build the temple. His son Solomon will. So we're about to start the next part of this story. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.